0: Each of us has come to our own spiritual path, whatever it may be, however we comprise it to be, because we have some aspiration, of course. We may not be so clearly conscious of that aspiration, but somehow that aspiration brings us to a path of practice or to various practices where we can begin to understand our own hearts, our own minds. We may express it in different ways, what that is, but basically there is this mysterious yearning, whether we call it spiritual or not, to experience life more peacefully, to experience more happiness in our own hearts, to have an experience of contentment that doesn't depend on anything out there being in any particular way. And you probably have your own unique way, specific way of expressing what your aspiration is. But I think in the end, it all boils down to something similar, that we're all here for similar reasons, similar aspirations. For me, it includes that aspiration includes being liberated or free from the habit patterns that cause this mind and heart suffering and therefore is a cause for other people to suffer. So it's important to acknowledge that we do have an aspiration and along the way I think that we clarify it more and more and actually it changes it, because of the clarity, it changes. So my experience of how that word aspiration plays out in my own life, aspiration is not like a goal because uh, for me it's the turning of the mind and the heart, the inclining of the mind and heart to something that may be beyond my knowledge now, beyond of course, beyond my actual experience now. So how could I know what the goal would be? But perhaps there's enough clarity in the mind and heart. There's enough courage to know to turn or incline towards something. Sometimes we say greater than ourselves, greater than what we could know. So that's a very important aspect of aspiration that leads us in a direction of ever-deepening wisdom, ever-deepening because we don't know really what that wisdom will be precisely, ever-deepening compassion. We cannot have any idea really of how big the heart of compassion can be, of how boundaryless it can be. So it's not a specific goal because actually that goal may be limiting. To go towards what is yet unknown requires a lot of faith. For that, for us to go forth, we need a kind of confidence that we may not even know that we have within us. There's a, an experience I had when I first went to Burma to practice. And uh, it wasn't that long ago. It was in 2000 or 2001, something like that. And I decided about six, uh, seven years ago to ordain just temporarily as a nun. To You can do that in places in Burma, shave your head and um, take on the robes as um, some people do. And when I went to the teacher that we have that resides in Burma, he said, what did you come here for when I first came for interview? In other words, you know, he was asking me, what is my aspiration What is the direction that I'm inclining towards? So this is something that I had to know, I had to understand in myself. He said, you've come so far away from the comforts of home. Mentioned that I could practice in places that were very comfortable for me, but I've come to practice far away in a place where um, the climate and the food and the conditions aren't the way we have it here. We we really are so lucky here. I think Steve mentioned to you about having noise outside of the uh, meditation hall. So when you've gone to Burma, the noise of a lawnmower is nothing. It's um, You're grateful that it's only that. So not easy going far away. So when he asked me that question, my answer was, to purify my heart, to purify it so that my heart and mind can experience places that it hasn't experienced before. And so immediately he replied in a very, very clear and direct way, you must be willing to invest everything you have. You must be willing to invest everything you have in your practice. And for me, the first thing that I really had to understand about myself was I had to bring up this confidence, this faith in my ability to do that that was far beyond anything I might have understood in myself before. That was beyond anything that I may have experienced about myself before. And it brought up the... the Importance of recognizing all the paramis, the wholesome forces of mind that already exist in my own heart and mind, without the sense of being, um, you know, swell-headed about it, but just to acknowledge that there are certain things that are there—a sense of uh, equanimity. There's the energy there to do it. Not all the time, but I can feel that energy come up. There's this willingness of the mind to relinquish what is unwholesome, to let go, to be able to have a strong determination, to be able to uh, practice generosity, loving kindness, patience, all of these various qualities of mind and heart that come up to be acknowledged when the need for faith comes up. It's said that there are really different kinds of faith, of course, in in our own practice, in our own lineage here. We can understand that it's important to have faith in any teachings that you open your mind and heart to and that you're willing to undertake. And we can't follow it blindly. We have to see, does this lead to something that is good, to something that is wholesome, to something that is beneficial for my own life and for the life of others? And, of course, for that, it's important to ask the questions that you're asking. And no question is um, unimportant We also must have faith in the teachers that we choose to practice with. Some teachers aren't exactly the kind of personality that resonates with us. But it's important, uh, as our own teachers have said to us, uh, not to look even to the words, but to look to the meaning of the words for ourselves. And sometimes, as uh, one of our first teachers, Anagarika Manindra said to me when I was questioning a particular teacher that had a lot of, um, oh, there was just a a lot of publicity around this teacher, and there were certain things about this particular teacher that I had doubts about. And uh, Manindra said to me, a perfect rose can come from an imperfect giver. So just taking in what we hear and seeing how can we turn that into something beautiful for ourselves. So faith in our teachers uh, that we choose to practice with. And of course, whatever we hear that doesn't uh, seem useful, we just can put aside. But mostly on this path of practice, it's faith in our own ability faith in our ability to actually walk the path, to do what we need to do for ourselves, to be able to take the next step. When I, um, y- you may see Steve and I come here in the hall and we may give our respects to this particular uh, root teacher, the Buddha, Is not our only teacher. I was raised in Catholic Christian tradition and I have great reverence for uh, the root teachers of that tradition. But here when we come and we bow to the Buddha, a lot of what I'm doing is um, bringing forth that faith that I have in the teachings, in the, in the root teacher, because I've seen nothing to be uh, not useful so far, everything to lead towards the wholesome, to be beneficial for myself and all beings. And mostly when I bow, when I take a bow, uh, and bowing to the truth of how things are, I'm bowing to that, actually bringing forth that understanding is that the truth exists in my own heart and mind. And basically during that time, I ask to bring forth that truth in a way that's useful and clear. And so that's part of what we're doing when we're bowing here, taking refuge in, in the teacher, taking refuge in the teaching, taking refuge in those who represent the teaching and those who have been liberated through the teaching, the sangha, the community. So faith manifests as this confidence, this confidence to go forth and to uh, be open to whatever arises in our practice, in just in a situational way, or in a moment-to-moment way, in a lifetime way, however you want to look at it, whatever is uh, appropriate for that particular time. Faith causes resolution. Determination to arise. Again, one of the paramis is a uh, place of resolution, aditana, to turn the mind towards what is beneficial and uh, make a resolution that the mind and heart go there, open to that. This causes great energy to arise. Another factor of these paramis, great energy to arise in order to actually do that, to carry out our resolution, to carry out our determination. It said that confidence overcomes the hindrances of doubt and fear. Very important. Faith or confidence overcoming particular hindrances. A lot of times uh, when doubt arises in our practice, and and we'll talk about that. Either Steve or I will talk about these basic uh, kilesas or hindrances to our practice. One of the big ones being doubt. And when doubt arises in our practice, oftentimes we go towards trying to figure it out, bringing in uh, the important wisdom that comes from our intelligence, that comes from our reading, our hearing from other places, And oftentimes I find that my mind just gets tied up in knots when I do that, when I go more towards the wisdom side of figuring it out. But when I open to just the faith to open to this moment, to be with this moment, however it's presenting itself, it's much easier to do it that way. So for me, oftentimes I've relied on faith especially in times of practice when the mind isn't coagulating a lot of concepts it's in the moment to moment experience and it's not easy for the conceptual realm to to come together all the time when we're in deeper and deeper practice so it's such a necessity it's so essential to uh rely on faith to go there um I read one time uh, in my various Dharma readings, uh, advice from a Zen teacher. And she said to one of her students that when a lot of doubt arises, just go to some place that you have no doubt about. And the student asked, what, what, where could that be? And she said, the breath, just go to one breath. You may not have any doubt about that. This is the experience of the breath. Or you might go to hearing. This is definitely hearing being known. Or whatever it is that's really, really simple, where there can be no doubt. So because faith is an essential part of any undertaking, and especially of the spiritual path, I wanted to put more light on it for us. Of course, we have to develop this faith for ourselves. But sometimes when we talk about it and we um, show certain, expose certain angles of it, certain perspectives of it, something may open in our own hearts and minds to help us to understand the workings of faith as it unfolds for us. So first, faith in the various lists of the Buddha's teaching. The Buddha's teaching is famous for all its lists, Uh, so I wanted to name just a couple of them. Faith is the first of the four sterling qualities of a beautiful human being. Um, The Buddha called sapurisa. This is a Saparisa is actually a superior human being. It doesn't have to do with what your attainment is in um, education or how much wealth you have or any other wealth of belonging or status or, of course, neither does it pertain to the color of one's skin, but to the qualities of one's heart. And faith is the first of those qualities. The others, just for your information, are moral virtue, generosity, and wisdom. So faith is the first of these four sterling qualities. It's also one of the five spiritual faculties in balance with wisdom. Wisdom being another one of the spiritual qualities. When this is in balance with wisdom, it's said that the mind opens, the mind and heart open open and deepen into knowledge and understanding beyond what is already known. But it takes a balance of wisdom and faith. The other faculties are concentration and energy, those in balance. And the fifth one is mindfulness, the basic practice that we are uh, cultivating here during our time together. So in the Buddha's teaching, in the Pali language, that ancient language, the word for faith is Sada, S-A-D-D-H-A. And this is a deep confidence, a deep conviction in, in ourselves, really, and in following a path of practice that we know for ourselves to be worthwhile, that we know is leading to the benefit of ourselves and all beings. One of our colleagues, Sharon Salzberg, who wrote a book called Faith, um, had a beautiful rendering of that definition, Sada, and she said, to place one's heart upon. She must have gotten some that somewhere from the teachings, and I just attribute it to her right now, but... Ah, it's to place one's heart upon. so there of course, there's room for our intellect and that kind of knowledge. But there's also a lot of room for placing one's heart upon, just having that kind of heartfelt faith. Sometimes for many of us, it's just a sense, a sense that this is the right way to do it, to to go. This is the right way to direct our path. We may not even understand theoretically, intellectually, why. So it's not primarily about thinking our way through it. It's about trusting our way through it. A lot different than thinking our way through it. Trusting an important characteristic of faith. Faith opens to us that inner compass that leads us in the right direction. So sometimes when I've thought about where to go and how to carry out my spiritual aspiration, the thoughts about what to do, how to do, when to do, and all those plans of it usually... um, are helpful, but really when I look deeply and I look clearly into the workings of the heart and the mind, I see that the steps that I make have mainly been on faith. And um, so far, so good. No complaint. There's been a lot of difficulty, but faith also allows uh, the heart and mind to open to that. So this inner certainty, inner certainty, is a conviction based on one's experience. Faith, a lot of times, is uh, coming from a place of, well, it it worked this way before, so I'll keep going in that direction, even though we don't know completely about that area or about how it worked, but there's some little bit about it that gives us faith to go again, to to go in that direction again and again. It's a deep trust that no matter what happens, even if we get lost, we'll know our way. We'll know our way to the path that is onward leading. The first time I went to Burma, um, it was very, very difficult you know, being older and uh, just taking on uh, a kind of practice that was more demanding of me physically. And I remember that there were times when I said to myself, I won't do this again. This is the last time I'm going. Um, This is too hard. And Yet there were so many things that came out of that that were so worthwhile, the the ability to open to what I thought was too hard and to get through it and to see the beauty that came with getting through that, the more confidence that there was in my own heart, the wisdom that was gained from being able to do that. And so um, it was faith that gave me that, aspiration to do it again, to go back again. And so even the second time, I thought, no, can't do this again, you know. and um, But I did go back again based on faith. And there was, in retrospect, at the time, you know, it was difficult. But then in retrospect, you see, this is a worthwhile endeavor. This is worth putting my energy into, and towards. So faith here is not based on blind acceptance or blind belief, but it's a choice that we make to investigate. We have a little understanding that we can do it to this point, and we say we can go further. There's that... um, these two words in Pali that say ehi pasiko means come and see for yourself. Sometimes I remember going to one of our teachers, Manindraji. Probably, you probably have heard a lot about him already, and some of you new to the practice will be probably hearing his name uh, various times again. When I would go to him and I'd say, uh, well, I, I can't do this, it's too hard. Or, you know, it was it would be the rolling up the mat time, which is certain points of our practice. They even say, oh, it's, this is the first rolling up, up, up the mat uh, time. And then there's another one that happens. And even more than that, where we just want to go home. And there have been times when I've said to that teacher and another teacher of mine, I can't do it anymore. I just want to go home. But... I'm not saying it even in the way I'm saying it now. There are tears and frustration and being like a puddle on the floor. And um, Then they would invite and say in their various ways, different ways, just come a little closer to this suffering, to your own heart and your own mind. Come and see for yourself what it is to face this, to open to this, to get through this, to learn the strength of the heart and the mind and not to succumb to its weakness. So I really appreciate my teachers that play to my strengths instead of to my weakness. So come and see for yourself, and which is what... Uh, They say in the Buddha's teachings, the Buddha said there is a way, a path leading to the end of suffering and pointed very clearly to that way. But you can't go around it. It's not that you can just go somewhere and hear something beautiful and agree with it over and over and over again and just live in that agreement and um, live in the beauty that someone else has experienced that our teachers always say, you have to go through it. You have to understand suffering and learn the strengths that we learn as we go through it. So very early in my 20s, uh, now almost 40 years ago, I came to understand that suffering in a way that really opened me to a path of practice that would help me to go through it, to understand it more deeply, and to understand a way to the end of it. And so like many of you, there came a time in my life when there was a lot of suffering. And some people say that uh, one of the causes of opening to faith is suffering. That's said in, in many traditions. And so it was during this time in my early 20s that I went back to my um, birthplace in the Philippines and I went to um, live there. Again, I had left there when I was very young. And when I went back, I was married into a very wealthy um, political family. And I had come from a very poor family. So going back there and living in all this great wealth, but seeing a lot of great poverty around me. And just the distance, the space between that wealth and that poverty was so great that it it stood out so clearly to me and so painfully to me. And as much as I tried to do everything I could to, to be of help to those who were suffering, Uh, giving, working in an orphanage, helping people in various ways, it would never satisfy that deep longing that I had to understand the root of this, not to just overcome it in those ways of being a good human being, but to understand the root of suffering and so you might say that this was one of my aspirations i could no longer depend on the spiritual practices that nourished and nurtured me they it it didn't um it didn't play into that aspiration that i had it gave me some peace and some calm but i was looking for something beyond that or deeper than that and so having uh, this kind of situation in my life where I'd go by, I'd go to my work every day, and first I, I didn't have to go to work. You know, I was just given a salary um, because I worked, I was the daughter-in-law of a, an official, and so I was given a job, and a salary, and I just had to go collect it, the salary, every Friday. And so I'm just giving you this picture of the dissonance, the distance between you know, what I was experiencing and how I saw all the suffering. So as I went to work in the back of the car being driven by a driver, passing through all the streets where there were a lot of beggars and people holding out their hands for some little gift so they could go on living that day to buy something to eat. And I'd roll down the window to give something against the advice that was given to me because you might get hurt and my hand would all get scratched up because of um, people really needing to live, and my heart was just broken open, and the thought, how could I live this way, and these people living that way? And so, to make a long story short, it was the cause and condition for that spiritual aspiration to be born, to find a pathway to the end of suffering, not Um, not thinking that I could end suffering in the whole world, but that maybe there could be an end to suffering in my own heart. And so for that, a lot of faith was needed to open to what was going on in my own heart. It said that it's possible for a deeper faith to open in us, when we can accept what's going on in our own hearts. We begin to clarify more deeply what our spiritual objective is, what's really valuable to us. So during our time here, these questions may come to us. What is really valuable for us in our lives? It's beyond what we need to survive What's deeper than that for us? And what do we have to face in order to understand and clarify that for ourselves? So faith points us like a compass to the wisest direction for us to become ourselves, to become a true human being and um, in the best way possible for us in this lifetime. I'm just remembering my eldest daughter, uh, Rona, beautiful story about her. She's now, um, you know, a grown woman, has a child of her own, a good life of her own. And when she was a, a little girl and when we left the Philippines, coming to back to America, and um, it was our first Christmas together, and I, I was alone with the three children. We had left the Philippines uh, to start a new life, the four of us. And um, I asked the the children, my three children, what they wanted to be in their lives, what they were aspiring towards. But I just said, what do you want to be in your life? And so my youngest one at that time, her name is Tracy, and she was almost three and she said she wanted to be a noise, a nurse. And that was really, really sweet. And um, the next one, Ramon, he wanted, uh, he was a, a couple of years older, he wanted to do something like, I can't actually remember to tell you the truth, like be a doctor or be in the medical field or something like that. Because what stands out to me more than... Anything else of what those children said is what my eldest daughter said, which actually nurtured my faith a lot and gave me um, an understanding that, about myself that I hadn't had before from this you know, almost um, six-year-old child. And I said, Rona, what do you want to be in your life? And she paused for a little while and she said, I want to be myself. And it really stopped me in my tracks because, you know, I had been living a life that was someone else's life and in a realm that I didn't feel I resonated in. And um, so I left that. It took a lot of courage to leave that with three children. So I said, why do you want to be yourself? She said, because if I'm not myself, who will be? And she said it exactly like that. So that gave me pause for a lot of contemplation about my own life and about really becoming who I was truly meant to be in this life. So for each of us, um, there is a unique, different opening of the mind and the heart, deepening in understanding and wisdom from a very simple, just being who we really are meant to be. That potential that is in each one of us that we're opening to because we're here. It said that faith is seeks out special qualities. And faith has this seeking aspect um, that seeks out virtue, that seeks out the possibilities to be generous, to cultivate generosity, seeks out good friends. It seeks out hearing the truth, hearing the Dhamma. So we see that that's part of our lives, that's part of your lives, that's why you're here. All of those uh, possibilities are right here for you and also in our very lives. So we each go through cycles unique to our spiritual journey. Some cycles are waking up to what's beautiful in ourselves in the world and in others, very important to acknowledge that, to know that. But it's also uh, where we wake up to difficult parts of ourselves. We face that those anxieties in our hearts, those fears, those places where we don't feel adequate, where we compare ourselves constantly, the obsessive mind, Every bit of it is important to awaken to wisdom and compassion. There's no mistake about what's unfolding. Sometimes when I've questioned what's going on in my spiritual practice, one of our teachers, Manindraji, would say, everything is unfolding in a lawful way. Lawful means it can't be any other way. It's unfolding because of Causes and conditions. Causes that we have put into our karmic stream. One of those great causes is our aspiration to awaken. To awaken to what? To awaken to how our life actually is. We can't, If we want to awaken to the truth of how life is, we can't just say, I want to awaken to what's comfortable and beautiful and pleasant and pleasing. When we have that kind of aspiration, we must be able to awaken to everything about ourselves, about this world, about how it is. So it's the faith to recognize and venture beyond the habitual tendencies of the mind and the heart first to open to those habitual tendencies and then to venture beyond them. One of the uh, people along my path of practice that I've um, been a teacher to, she came to me one time, this was many years ago, and she's, we, were, we were practicing, by the way, in a field surrounded by cows, it was, a, it was a beautiful retreat center in, in a pasture, in the middle of a, a pasture. And she said, when she came to me in interview, she said, you see how those cows always move in along the same paths and they cause ruts to be in the, in the earth? And you may not see the ruts until you go up close to them. But you see these, when you get up close to them, you see these ruts of where the the hooves of the cows have passed over and over again to get to their water trough or to go to a certain field uh, to be there. And she said, that's what my mind is like. And I keep falling into those cow paths of the mind over and over and over again and she expressed in, in, a, in her own way her aspiration to really open to those cow paths, to understand them, and to be able to go beyond them, to not just fall over and over again into the cow paths of the mind. And so she came to know, as we all come to know, a deep, calling, a deep spiritual calling. Sometimes we call this a spiritual urgency. And there's a particular word, um, one one of those ancient words called samvega, that spiritual urgency. And it's the urgency to know beyond what is already known, as I've spoken about. Where it's habitual can seem safe, even though it's um, it's uncomfortable. It can seem safe to go to those places of the obsessiveness, even the fear, even the doubt, even the aversion, the ill will, the resistance. Familiar places can seem comfortable. Maybe not safe all the time, but comfortable because they're familiar. But a harbor that, we be, that we're in all the time that can seem safe is a very limited place. And if we don't go beyond there, there's really no growth. It's said that faith is a quality that's supported by a willingness, first of all, to venture beyond. And so we might question ourselves, do we really have that willingness to venture beyond? what is known. It's a, it's a question that we're answering while we're here. We're not answering it so much with our intellect as we're answering it with our actual being here, our actual seeing what we do with the practice. Faith is supported by interest and curiosity. One time Albert Einstein was someone commented to him that, you know, he's so intelligent and beyond the beyond in a way. And he said, no, I'm not, I'm not more intelligent than anyone else. I'm just more curious. And he really gave a lot of reverence to his curiosity of mind. So a lot of times this curiosity can serve us in our confidence and in our faith to open to something that's uncomfortable, sometimes instead of backing away, or even after backing away, we can come forward and can say, what is this? How does this work? What does this look like? What are the component parts of this experience? Faith is also supported by humility. It takes a lot of humility to open to places that we could be ashamed of, that we don't want to admit to anyone else. There's a beautiful quote I came across. I wish I could uh, attribute it to someone. I'm still looking for this person, saying that spiritual awakening is one humiliation after another. And uh, it's true for me. It's lucky that we have teachers that we're able to go to and actually say, you know, this arose in the mind and the heart. And it's it's kind of shameful to say how I was feeling about this when such and such happened or so-and-so said something about a certain thing or even when we th- we think is, um guides along the path, you know, sometimes... We think we should be a little more advanced than what's actually showing up in our minds, and lucky thing you know we don't often have that kind of thinking about ourselves that to each other we can go. I'm grateful that I can have Steve as a partner and oftentimes go to him and he come to me saying, "You know when this happened today, this came up in the mind and Ooh, shuddered to see that it came up. Lucky thing it didn't come out of my mouth, you know, but, <laughs> but to actually see it come up in the mind and not act on it, powerful thing, the mindfulness that can actually notice it, and the wisdom that can actually accompany mindfulness to see that it's just a passing show. It's just a temporary experience. We don't have to make it solid by saying it belongs to a me, a mine, and, or who I am. But still, the subsequent shuddering or, you know, squinting and saying, ooh, that really came through. Not acting on it is a powerful karma, is a powerful good karma, wholesome karma. To be able to notice it, wholesome karma, to be able to refrain from acting on it, wholesome karma. So even though it arises, it doesn't have to be like it's bad or unwholesome. There's a lot of wholesomeness around that experience. So humility, steadfastness, the energy of courage, the courage to be able to see it, to recognize it, acknowledge it, say it out loud, sometimes, to those we can trust. It's said that the Buddha-to-be, the Bodhisattva, was born into a royal family. This is the story about uh, this Buddha-to-be. And because of his deep inner calling, he decided one day to venture outside the walls of this royal comfort said that he had uh, various palaces, one for the summertime, one for the uh, cold season, one for the spring season, and they were all in places of where nothing unpleasant would show up. When he ventured into the town, it said that his parents would make sure that everything was taken away that would um, be unpleasant, for his eyes, his ears, his, uh, his sense of smell to touch. But one day he decided to venture beyond all of that. Uh, and he came up upon things and experiences that opened his mind, actually, to more suffering. And so from that opening... He had this deep inner calling to go beyond, to know what was beyond all of that. And because of that deep inner calling, we have teachings today that, along with other great teachings of the world, bring us and lead us to a place where we can understand the true nature of life, the true nature of our inner life, of outer life. So this inner calling is something that we all have. And because of faith, we go towards and in, towards a direction that leads to greater knowledge, greater wisdom. So basically, there are three different kinds of faith. The first kind of faith is called blind faith. When we're not yet trusting our own experience, basically because we don't really know it. So this ability to open to what's going on in our hearts and our minds through the uh, practice of mindfulness is a cause and condition for faith to arise. When we haven't explored the inner terrain enough, deeply enough, it's not easy to have faith in ourselves when we don't know ourselves very well. So we tend, because of blind faith, we tend to misplace our trust and we put our trust in others, which is not all bad, but sometimes we can be led down blind alleys. So actually this blind faith is a place where we might have some faith in ourselves because we are called to do something, to go in a direction where it might be helpful and so we follow and we try it out and we learn by getting burned sometimes or we learn by seeing that this isn't the good place to go so we might hear from others or about others and we may hear teachings that for a while we try on and we say well Um, This could be good, but basically, and more than anything, we live in the light of another being instead of seeing our own light, instead of understanding that it can come from within. There's an old saying, gazing at the moon, I lose a pearl in my own hands. And so in blind faith, that's what we do. We're looking out there all the time, not looking in here. We expect to be spiritually carried by someone else's wisdom. And we may recite the words and we may say, yes, yes, that's true. We may agree, but there comes a time when we see that that wisdom isn't really coming from our own hearts. So that doesn't last long. It doesn't take your practice very, very far, but it takes us to some place where we learn to, um, begin to learn to trust ourselves. And so then we come to bright faith, another kind of wisdom, another kind of faith. When a person, a place, a reading or a hearing of something opens the light within us, and we begin to see the real possibility for ourselves, to uh, to understand more deeply, to be liberated from greed, hatred, and delusion, to awaken the mind. However you may call it. We begin to see that it's not just another person's light, or an, from an ancient text, even, but it's our own light that we need to follow. And we start learning how to do that. There still may be a degree of dependence on the bright light of another. But we're more curious and interested in the map of where, how, the path to liberation. We are more able to read it, to follow it. We're more willing to be lost and to find our own way back. So it's not just following directions mechanically. We have some understanding now. Our faith is ignited by others who have done it, and we know we can do it ourselves. So one of the persons that ignited my own faith on this path of awakening is a housewife and a student of our own teacher. Manindra was a teacher, and the student was Deepama, attained very high levels of realization or very deep levels of realization uh, cultivated a very pure and strong mind was able to um, was able to go to the depths of wisdom and also to uh, realize the strength of concentration. Many of you may have read about her in the book Knee Deep in Faith about Deepama. It'll probably be here at the end of the retreat so um, you don't have to think about it now about trying to get it. We we get this in retreat we get this kind of uh, Dharma greed. You know, we want the poems we want the books we want everything that we hear about so we can just let that go for now. Deepama uh, someone I heard about from Manindra. Manindra used to talk about her to me all the time. Say, there, here I was, a housewife, and raising children part of the time on my own before I remarried. And um, he would tell me about how this woman had lost two children in infancy and her husband and was in the depths of despair she found herself in Burma. It's a much longer story, but she found herself in Burma and practicing, she began to practice with Manindraji, who led her in uh, the various methods of samatha meditation, concentration, and also vipassana. She was at a place in her practice where she was so sick and weak that she stayed in bed for a long, long time and out of some a lot of despair, heartbrokenness. And um, she came to know the Dharma. She was born into a family where the Dharma was handed down since the time of the Buddha. And yet she never practiced it in the way that she did with Manindraji. And so when she practiced, there was a time that she had so much courage, so much resolution, so much clarity about the aspiration of her heart and her mind that she would crawl to the meditation center in Burma. She would, from her little hut that was in the meditation center, she would crawl to the meditation hall to sit and listen to the Dharma and to practice. And so um, she was able to purify her mind and her heart to a great degree and was and has been a great inspiration to many of us. I met with her daughter, Deepa. So her name is Deepa Ma, mother of Deepa. Um, Met with her daughter um, a couple of years ago. And I said, what do you remember about your mother? And so this is about resolution now, one of the paramis. I said, What's the, what stands out the most for you about her practice? And she said, I remember my mother, we lived in this uh, little house in the meditation center. And my mother made a decision to go into deep samadhi for three days. To, first she said, to practice meditation for three days. So I thought, well, okay, you know, and to practice at home. And then she said, "Oh no, my mother was going into deep samadhi. That means she would stay there for three days." And so she was a little girl, and um, Deepa Ma sat in one place in in the house, and Deepa was told not to disturb her mother, and the the household went on as usual. Deepa Ma made the resolution to stay in samadhi for three days. And Deepa said she kept looking and kept seeing, well, Mother hasn't gotten up to go to the bathroom. She's not eating anything. She didn't get up. She stayed there for three days. And that's not something I aspire to do. (laughs) But But the power of her mind as a housewife, and then also... Greater, much greater, much more important than that, the ability to go beyond uh, the suffering of the mind and to awaken that uh, wisdom that sees beyond there. So, this is bright faith, which matures into an even brighter faith to open to what is difficult, having the courage and the confidence. And then this goes more deeply into what is called verified or unshakable faith, when, through our own trials and tribulations, we know the way for ourselves. The flame of confidence and conviction is not in anyone else out there. It's in the Dharma in our own hearts, the knowledge of how to walk the path ourselves so that we're not affected by the winds of life. We gain what's called unshakable faith. It means that we still respect the wisdom and compassion of others, but we don't have to totally rely on it. And so, this faith brings us to an unshakable place in our practice where we can walk the path without any doubt at all. In fact, it said that this unshakable faith uproots any remaining doubt in the path of practice. It also uproots the belief that rites and rituals will uh, purify the mind and the heart. It also uproots the wrong view that there's some enduring solid self anywhere inside or outside or as a connection between inside and outside. Of ourselves. So, this faith is quite essential to our practice. And really, it's not having the faith in some big, big Dharma with a capital D. It's having the faith in being able to take the next step and be mindful, and to take the next half breath and be mindful of that. So, I think of faith as. Just little steps along the way. It said that there's this. I've heard of this beautiful man who's a chanter with the Gyoto chanters of Tibet, and everybody wants to uh, interview him. The press and etc. Want to interview him because he's so happy and he shines. And his the manager of that group says it won't do you any good. You won't come up with much. He says I got out of Tibet one step at a time. That's all he says. And that's what faith is about. Getting out of suffering one step at a time. Opening to it. Charles Dubois says, The important thing is this, to be able at any moment to sacrifice what we are for what we could become. So this is all due to our faith. So so I think I'll stop there. There's a lot more that could be said about it, but sometimes just a few um, important points keep us going, like just one step at a time, one breath at a time. One moment of knowing whatever is happening in our hearts at a time. And this is what engenders our faith. So let's sit for a moment. So this is a writing by David White about faith. I want to write about faith, about the way the moon rises over cold snow night after night, faithful even as it fades from fullness, slowly becoming that last curving and impossible slither of light, Before the final darkness But I have no faith in myself I refuse it the smallest entry Let then My small poem Like a new moon, slender and barely open Be the first prayer That opens me to faith Thank you for your attention this evening. Last night we noticed that um, the yogis in the kitchen had to hurry uh, to do their job. So we're going to start at a quarter after, <clears throat> so there's more time for the yogis in the kitchen. So to support them, or we'll come back here at 9.15. Whoever rings the bell, please ring it at the appropriate time to be here at 9.15. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.